Welcome to Your Pursuit of Happiness, the podcast for people working in the Irish fintech and financial services industry. Let's get started. Following the New York Stonewall riots of June 1969 and the annual commemorative Pride Parades in the USA from 1970 onwards, the first public gay rights demo took place in Dublin on the 27th of June 1974. The first Gay Pride Week events were held in June 1979, organised by the National Gay and Lesbian Federation. The first significant Pride Week in Ireland was organised for June 1980. But from 2007 onwards, the events were themed starting with Pride and Joy, which emphasised the use of celebration as a positive medium to get a message across and to increase the visibility of the LGBTQ community. Pride was created on June 28, 1970, so this was to be the 50th anniversary of the annual LGBTQ Pride traditions in the US. This 50th anniversary, or 2020, is one that will never be forgotten. Hi everyone, my name is Laura Smith and welcome to our podcast, Your Pursuit of Happiness. I am delighted to be joined by Vessi Tashiva, founder of Vessi.com. Vessi, you're very welcome. Thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, thank you so much for having me back on your podcast, Laura. Not at all. Bessie, as you know, today we're going to discuss Pride Week under lockdown. So as we know, Pride Week is themed every year. And this year, the theme was In This Together due to COVID-19 pandemic. The festival was postponed until September of this year and then was later cancelled. So instead, the festival ran digitally online. There was a virtual online parade that took place led by the Lord Mayor of Dublin and frontline workers. The theme in this together was to remind people to act responsibly in the best interest of all and to react to the changing environment and to support the frontline workers. Fessy. Do you mind telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. So I founded Vessi.com almost two years ago. It's a, it's a strategic DNI and culture services. Like there are aspects of it, like for like mental health as well. I work with clients across Europe, also North America, um, across industries. Like, you know, one of my clients is SoundCloud. Another client is an improv school out of London. So very, very different like sizes and types of organizations. Excellent. And for our listeners, you published a DNI report recently. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so I actually have two editions by now of the report. So in 2019, um, I published the first edition. It was featuring 10 companies from 10 countries on how they approach diversity and inclusion. And we had like amazing features on uh, companies from India, Mexico, South Africa, all across Europe, you know, the US and so on. And in the second edition that came out this year in February, before uh, everything changed this year, um, we had like a global launch uh, with IBM in London for the report. It, this time it was featuring 10 companies from 10 industries, including the likes of Spotify, NHS and others. So both of those reports are free, like not even registration is available. And 
um, if people want to take a look they're on the Bessie.com website. Great I'll add in a link for that Fessy if that's okay with you. Fessy do you mind if I ask you a personal question? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Given the topic of, of this podcast, which was Pride Week under lockdown, do you mind sharing your coming out story with us? Yeah, so it was back in 2007. Um, I, so I was 20 at the time. I had recently realized that I'm gay and I was like, you know what? Um, I don't think, you know, I'll, I'll keep this a secret. I want to tell like my closest friends, you know, my family, etc. And was very organized about it. <laughs> like a to-do list and picking off names, you know, like prioritizing the list. So like after I, I told my closest friends, some acquaintances, my family soon after I made a public coming out, I reached out to the student magazine on campus. So that was my second year of university. That was back in Bulgaria. I was studying in the, the American University in Bulgaria. And I was like, you know what? I just want to be done with the whole thing. I think it felt very isolating of the time to feel like the only uh, gay person on campus. Now, the thing is, in Bulgaria, even today, like about 20% of people would support a marriage referendum. Like they would vote yes if there was a marriage referendum it's a very low percentage like fairly homophobic and it's like even being homophobic uh, is kind of the social norm so imagine what is it like 13 14 years ago now you know make a public coming out i'm very proud i i did that because it allowed me to have like courage and pride in being gay then let's say be you know feel guilty or feel shame and keep it as like a dirty secret type of thing. I found it very empowering. And to be honest, for a long time, there were no other gay people on, on campus, or at least that I would know of. My motivation was I wanted to be kind of like done with the whole coming out thing, come from a place of strength and weakness, you know, with people who know about it. And, but also for those who, it's like a few thousand people in the university, like, there are definitely some other gay people. I thought even if other people don't come out or I don't know of them, at least they will know of me and that might give them a sense of, well, I guess to feel a bit less lonely in their own journey. Yeah. Wow, Vessie, that was such a brave thing to do, especially considering the circumstances. You, you know, I saw it more as like a creative way out of the situation than bravery at the time. But I think it's a moment in time when I definitely took the leap for, for myself. And I guess it became the benchmark for me, like when I'm having a tough situation to not, you know, not to go for the easiest solution, but maybe go for one that requires courage. And, you know, it requires to have a harder conversation and be genuine about where you're coming from and you know in the conversation or whatever and it's very helpful I think especially consulting companies on diversity and inclusion sometimes you need to be very skillful with your language when you explain like how things are or like giving feedback to someone that maybe you know they have some limiting views or what they could improve, etc. And you always want to be encouraging, but also giving them something 
constructive to work on and that could be on both sides you know i'm not just implying for the leadership team that's also for let's say the grassroots movement you know there it's very hard to work with both perspectives in mind and then uh, recently in my project with soundcloud the focus was to help their employee resource groups create their program and commit to that and you know give them more visibility allow them to you know just grow in their career better but also to like have more impact through the work that they're doing at the same time that's something that they contribute you know as part of kind of like as part of their job but how do we make sure they're also recognized and doing all of this with you know the business or budget limitations or needs of the leaders so working with different objectives that on the surface look like they actually contradict each other but finding the common ground you need to have some hard conversations with people and be very straightforward but in a very empathetic way and it's i think like i know like okay in that tough situation back in 2007 i found my way out and um it gives me hope in future situations when i feel challenged i guess yeah absolutely as you said it was a really good benchmark to set for you know for being courageous and I'm sure people that have looked to you as a role model, has anybody ever given you feedback to that effect? Yeah, so there was a guy that I've, I've known for a few years at the time, and I actually still don't know if he is gay. Again, in Bulgaria, you like you wouldn't necessarily know, like maybe you would think someone might be, but that doesn't mean that they're out. And some people are out, but it, it's very different from, from here in Ireland. Uh, I was with my, you know, partner at the time and he was like, you know what, like people seeing the two of you as a couple, like it actually makes such a big difference in people's lives. So that was my goal to be, to be the presence that was lacking, to be a bit of a role model, not in a sense that like, you know, everything is perfect in my life. Through my life to show that it's, it's possible, you know, to bring my partner to like a Christmas party or things that would, you would never see for a same-sex couple or like uh, here like moving to uh, Dublin five and a half years ago the last few years I have been in an interracial relationship and it was really interesting to experience Dublin you know in two parts first like my ex is white and my current partner is black and to see to what extent even people notice me or us in the street a slight change in the, I guess, big change in who my partner is. And it's not about like being same sex, like races, quite a big difference for how you're seen. And there's so few interracial couples in Dublin. Like I always notice them and it's so, so rare. It's probably as rare as to see a same sex couple in Bulgaria (laughs) and be like, yeah, they're like us. And, you know, have this like fuzzy feeling, you know, it's not just us type of thing. Yeah. Betsy, thank you so much for for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Moving on to the topic of the podcast on Pride Week, what makes Pride Week important for you? Mm-hmm. You know, the very first Pride that I attended was Sofia Pride. That was back in 2009. So Sofia is the capital of Bulgaria. And that was the second Pride we had in Bulgaria. So for context, like the first Pride was attended by like, you know, 30 maybe 100 people and there were it was met by neo-nazis who threw molotov cocktails 
So luckily, you know, no one got harmed, but it, it was a very dangerous protest. So actually heading to the second protest, there was a moment which was like, okay, what if something bad happens today? It's not impossible looking at what last year was like. It was, you know, it was a choice of what are your principles? What are your values? And do you want to stand for something you believe in and, and take the risk? And like we went and it was, <laughs> the adrenaline was high. It felt less of a celebration and more of a political statement. And it was very, very emotional. The next couple of years, you know, we kept going back with, you know, trying to bring more friends. They were all peaceful protests. Like there would be like an (laughs) anti-protest. I feel like only in Bulgaria we have (laughs) anti-protests. It's like there is a protest and then there is another one uh, that is anti the original protest. Pride was very positive. Like it was a celebration. It meant so, so, so much to anyone who was there and many people who would not be able to attend. Then I had the chance to attend the Global Pride in London. I think that was maybe 2013. I was so excited about it because it, it just feels, you know, it's a celebration of your identity. You're like, yes, I know I'm worth it. Yes, I know, you know, I'm just being myself. Like I'm not interrupting people's lives, acting them badly because you know very often that could be the narrative and um, that's that's how it could be seen by some people where it was seen in the past and the global pride in london was the very opposite of the one in sofia because it was huge so like i was used to something that is a few hundred people in sofia and then london was like thousands and thousands it was overwhelming in terms of size and you know like big concert like I think it was Trafalgar Square and it was it was a celebration but there was no adrenaline <laughs> I think oh. in some way that felt anti-climatic because I was used to the adrenaline of the you know the one that is more of a political statement now in going to Pride in Dublin my first Pride was 2015 just after the marriage referendum and it was so exciting that was a beautiful, beautiful celebration. It, it was amazing. It was a very happy moment. Wow. Obviously, we bumped into each other last year. I have to say, I really enjoyed it. As you mentioned there, the sense of adrenaline and the celebration piece, it was just beautiful. How did you celebrate this year? So I did a few things. I attended the Sophia Pride remotely, like it was all pre-recorded and it was great to watch it to, together with other people remotely. That was so emotional. Mm. Then a couple of weeks later, we had a few friends over, you know, within the limitations and the regulations of, for COVID-19. So we had a few people at home. It was so exciting to see people (laughs) because we hadn't really (laughs) seen anyone pretty much up until that point at the end of June. And the whole day I had the global pride, which was also, you know, remotely streamed from around the world. And it was impressive to see so many countries and, you know, like health minister of Germany or like, you know, many, many, many countries and performers. I think they were streaming for maybe 24 hours. So that was very exciting. And as a warm up for the evening, when a few friends came over and, you know, had a few drinks, we were playing music. It was just uh, exciting. It was much more intimate than, you know, let's say Dublin Pride last year. 
it it was fantastic. I think I would love to see prides like being streamed in general and you can attend like this pride or that pride feel part of more of those events even remotely just like watching their program it's so, it's so it was so cool like it just sets you in a mood you know like the way mm. pride that you would go or like pride week or month you would go on spotify look for the pride playlist and in some way you're celebrating all month it felt very special more generally, Vasi, how has um, 2020 and the pandemic been for you? <laughs> so, uh, most recently, I've, I broke my foot, as you know. <laughs> so, there have been a plot twists here and there. Outside of that, you know, I've been working remotely for about four years now, solo entrepreneur for about two. So the isolation and loneliness that came with lockdown didn't feel unfamiliar and I actually felt fairly equipped for it. Obviously there were there were moments of, you know, more like more anxious moments or more depressive moments than mm. you know moments of happiness, a bit of a mixture. Uh, I think people refer to this as uh, the Corona coaster. Yes. <laughs> So, you know, I was trying not to count days, like for how long I'm in lockdown or something like this, but rather be like, you know what, that's the way things are. I need to adapt to them. I significantly decreased the hours of work so that I just have time to process things. There was a moment, I think like late March and most of April where so much was happening week by week, even like day by day, that if you're too focused on being productive, you don't have time to accept what's, what's happening. It's just not my thing to box feelings and, and like thoughts and things like that. So I need to work with it on the spot. So I would, I would make time to like go for a cycle, obviously on my own, you know, <laughs> avoid touching anything and just have to make time to process things to be able to move forward. So when the next wave of news, lockdown, limitations, regulations, whatever happens, I'm, I'm at least somewhat adjusted to the previous stage that we were in and I just focus on adapting. I think it was extremely challenging for everyone, obviously much more challenging for you know, parents or like uh, primary caregivers in general who would have to look after other people. My job was to look after myself, you know, be supportive of my partner, some friends, my family. My responsibilities were fairly simple at the end of the day. I had time for myself to work with all of this and not burn out because of the emotional burden. And I think Mm. it was a time that was triggering for different people in different ways. For many people, it was really hard to slow down. And now, you know, now I'm almost at the end of week two of uh, having my foot broken. So it's gradually improving. And I'm trying to think about it as another opportunity to slow down, reflect on things and Mm. grow from it. One of my learnings from April is I decided to apply for a master's in psychotherapy. 
Oh, congratulations. Uh, thank you. Thank you. So I've been taking like different courses online to strengthen my application. I'm starting a um, course in counseling and psychotherapy at PCI college, which is like a, you know, like a pre-master's thing. It's not required for any of the master's applications, but I just can't wait until 2021 <laughs> to start uh, a master's. So I would love to, to, to start advancing with this and in the meantime, there is a gap in, this, in the diversity and inclusion space around mental health. And there is also a gap in the space of psychotherapy around diversity and inclusion. So with uh, Luciana, a friend and colleague of mine, we are co-authoring a book, which will be examining those wow. specific topics. So what, you know, what's the role of diversity and inclusion in mental health and psychotherapy in the workplace, but also outside of the workplace, you know, for, for the individual, how do they connect? I'm not mentioning a specific title because we're still <laughs> working on the working title and, uh, you know, which are the specific areas we want to dive into, but very, very excited about this. She's the co-founder and CMO of uh, mindcheck.me. So she, she has been in the mental health space as well for a while and very talented. And it's very exciting to work on a big project like that with someone else having, you know, authored the previous two reports on my own. And, you know, obviously going for a book, I was like, you know what, I would love to do this with someone who would be equally excited. And uh, Luciana is... I think she's the right person and very, very excited. Brilliant. Fessy, it sounds like you found a lot of opportunities throughout the pandemic and even the opportunities you've found to, to slow down with breaking your foot. <laughs> so fair play to you for finding the positives in, in, in everything. Fessy, any closing remarks on Pride in general? It's important to remember that pride has a different function depending on the context. We see that, you know, we have, there is a risk for like pink washing and like in a place like Bulgaria, for example, corporates are not competing to <laughs> spend their budgets on pride. The opposite is actually happening. Um, very few companies will decide to support and then there could be a backlash among the employees, you know, from the employees. Like, sure, it's a bit extreme when the local off-license or the local Tesco is covered with more flags, rainbow flags, than any pride or gay party I've ever attended. <laughs> but at the same time, there is a moment when I'm like, that's actually amazing. You know, I can pick uh, off-license based on how supportive they are of this. I think we need to think about the context and also think about what are the what are the challenges that LGBTQ uh, people face, like trans people, people of color, specifically trans as well. Like uh, last year, there was a trans person in direct provisions, uh, was a person of color who you know died and and they were buried without notifying anyone their friends or their family so things like that happen in ireland we need to like keep an eye on what's the context what is pride solving and that could be like the corporate initiative that we have or like the work that employee resource groups do in our company or but we can't like we can't just like focus on let's say like drinks and panel discussions we need to listen to the communities what they need and i think this is what it boils down to like if we're building a product we will be talking to the customers right we wouldn't just like throw some features at them or like you you do recruitment you don't just like 
send them candidates for just any kind of job. You, you send them candidates for the specific job that they're that they need candidates for. And it's similar with how we approach pride or support for LGBTQ people in our organization, in our country, or in our local community. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more on that. Vessi, thank you so much for sharing all your insights today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks for joining us today on Your Pursuit of Happiness, the podcast for people working in the Irish fintech and financial services industry. For show notes and other goodies, go to www.toptierrecruitment.com forward slash podcast. That's toptierrecruitment.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and feel free to rate and review the show. We appreciate your support. See you next time.